Morning, everyone. How you doing? It's good to be here. A few faces I don't recognise, so you are really welcome. Um, and uh, my name's Paul. I'm one of the leaders here. We call them pastors, uh, but essentially one of the leaders. But it really is good to have you with us. Um, just during the worship there, I just um, had a bit of a sense, and obviously I know what I'm going to speak on, but that I think one of the things God might want to do this morning is the, the phrase went through my mind to fortify the troops, to fortify and encourage the troops. And I guess I had a bit of a sense, I'm going to be sharing some of my stories in the military later. <laughs> it won't take very long. Um, but I think sometimes, you know, the preaching is kind of about enlisting the troops and recruiting and, you know, getting us on board. But this morning I just had more of a sense that this might be a place where some of us have been on the front line maybe and in the battle. And this is more about kind of stepping back and just having some R&R, &R, which means something. I can't remember what though, but rest and recreation off the front line. So Lord, I just pray that you'd be with us, that we'd know you're among us, our captain, encouraging us. Yeah, God, as we kind of just rest in you now. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh, encourage us. Lord, I pray for any wounds that they'd be tended to. I pray for healing. And Lord, I pray for any psychological damage from the war, the battle. And I just pray, God, that you'd, again, just renew our perspective, that we'd see you. So God, would you be with us now? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've been um, in a series, we've called it Living Waters. And um, to be honest, and I've said this before, I think when we started this series, my anticipation was it would be kind of, you know, Holy Spirit come, the love of the Father, you know, our sonship, our daughtership, Romans 8, all of that. And I pray that that will yet come, but it feels to me like it's been more preparatory for that. Us, just checking ourselves, where are we at with God? And this morning's word is along those lines. And I want to ask this question this morning. Um, where do you go when you're desperate? Where do you go when you're desperate? Where do you go when you're at the end of your tether? Maybe you find yourself in a wilderness. Maybe there's a real sense of lostness in your spirit. It feels like you're going round and round a bit and you don't know the way out. Maybe there's brokenness. You know, situations you're immersed in have just really took their toll. Like I say, you've been on the front line. Or maybe you're just bored. Where do you go in those situations when you need, perhaps, breakthrough? Um, 14 years ago, a young man came to rugby with his family, having uprooted from London. And he came alongside another pastor, and uh, they worked together. And in 2008, I know, because I was that boy, 2008, 
the first preaching series that I took on. At that time, Steve and I, Steve's here this morning, we shared the preaching and initially we kind of, you know, have separate series and then we kind of brought those together at different times. But the first series I preached was Desperate. And it came out of Psalm 63. And I think we've got a couple of verses. This line, I remember then, Steve, you being pretty techie, you did a, a little DVD thing of the deserts. Yep, so have I, funny enough. It was on CD and DVD then, you know, now we download it and stream it and whatever. But it was along out of Psalm 63, you God and my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched, weary land where there is no water. And so there was a series of sermons there on being desperate. And the thing is this, I still feel like that. I'm content in God, and maybe you're the same. We're content in God, but there's something in us longs for more of God, for more of him. And here in 2 Kings 3, we're going to look at this morning. If you've got a Bible with you, that's where we're going to be. Uh, you know, it's one of those passages, my guess is you've not, we've not read this too many times, depending on what your reading pattern is. But 2 Kings 3, what we see there is really quite a, a desperate situation. And we're going to see a few different responses. So let's have a look then at this situation, desperate situation in 2 Kings 3. And first off, we're going to see there were folks here at their extremity, at their extremity. And I'm going to read from um, the message version. Now, usually we'd use the NIV, which is a kind of translation of scripture as opposed to a paraphrase. But those of us who read uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message Paraphrase, um, you know, is It can be really helpful because it conveys narrative and it just brings a freshness to things. So it doesn't stray too far from the kind of more literal translation of different translations. So I just thought I'd go with this this morning. And it says this, Joram, or Jehoram, son of Ahab, began his rule over Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. At this time, Israel had divided two kings, uh, Judah and Israel. He was king for 12 years. In God's sight, he was a bad king. It's a bit worrying, isn't it? There's this kind of mark on the kings. He was a good king. He was a bad king. I mean, where does that leave us? You know, it's like good Christian, bad Christian. I just don't want that, Lord. But he wasn't as bad. He wasn't as bad as his father and mother, Ahab and Jezebel. They were really bad. To his credit, he destroyed the obscene Baal stone, worship of another god that his father had made. But he hung on to the sinful practices of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, the ones who, that had corrupted Israel for so long. Jeroboam, son of Nebat, has got a lot to answer for. He was the kind of first king. You can see him quoted a lot. He, he brought in you know, false worship of Baal and other gods and all of that stuff. He wasn't about to give them up. Thanks, James. Uh, king Mesha, meanwhile of Moab, a, a neighboring nation, raised sheep. He was forced to give the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and another 100,000 rams as tribute. Okay, they conquered Israel and conquered Moab, and that was the tribute he had to pay annually, probably. When Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Joram set out from Samaria and prepared Israel for war. 
His first move was to send a message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Would you join me and fight him? I'm with you all the way, said Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat's the king of Judah, remember. My troops are your troops. My horses are your horses. Which route shall we take? Through the badlands of Edom. The king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom started out on what's proved to be a looping detour. After seven days, they had run out of water for both army and animals. So they reach a situation in the desert there of Edom where they were desperate because they haven't got any water for their army. Any of us have seen the film The Kingdom of Heaven? Okay, the story of, you know, this uh, Jerusalem under a attack from Saladin, the Moor, and uh, the Crusaders set out, you know, impetuously into the desert to fight. But they just set out without water, and the army comes a cropper. So this situation, the army here is very vulnerable. And we see a, a couple of factors contribute to them being at their ex- extremity. And the first one was this. There was plenty of war going on. Plenty of war going on. Like I say, I just wanted to share uh, just a little, you know, snippet really of my life in the military. Okay? I was teacher training uh, in Nottingham and I decided that a year nine class could not be any worse than a military battlefront in terms of the stress it caused. Basically, I was really struggling with year nine, 13-year-old kids, okay? One or two of the teachers, teach training, can relate to that. And uh, so, I, so we had a visit from that august regiment, the Royal Army Education Corps, okay? Forget the paras, forget the marines and all of that. The Education Corps came and visited our teacher training place in Nottingham, and they said, you know, do you fancy joining? Well, I was really struggling with my teacher training. I thought, I'm going to to have a look into this. So I went to Beaconsfield, which was the base. And basically, we were treated to a weekend in the education corps in the officer's mess. And this was like full-cooked breakfast. And, you know, some of the lower-ranked soldiers would serve you breakfast. And I thought, I could do this. I could, I could do this, swanning about in a uniform, you know, kind of, I'm up for this. Anyway, it, it was all quite positive, apart from one fact that I'd have to be training people to kill people. It was a kind of bit of a hole in the plan, and I'm not a pacifist. I think, I think you know, there are times I think we're called to go to war, but I just didn't want it to be me that kind of had to train for that. So anyway, that, that got left by the by. But, but I have since a few times, there's things about the military actually quite appealed to me. I think people say, I've heard it said by soldiers, you, meet, you make friends in the army that you don't make anywhere else. So something about the camaraderie and the side-by-side element and something about the test of leadership that it is. You know, there cannot be more severe tests, probably, humanly speaking, than leading men and women on a battlefield. So, um, you know, I've had one or two moments where I've kind of gone, what if? What if I'd have joined up? What would that have looked like? Well, we saw some soldiers, we were at a county show the other day, and they were kind of military there on display and one or two things. And I kind of had this what-if moment. And Ali said to me, the thing is, Paul, you've actually enlisted in the army of God, haven't you? And here's the thing. We do understand, don't we? I think she was kind of being a bit patronizing, kind of saying that to me, but God oh, bless him, he wants to join the army. 
well, you're in the army of the Lord, Paul, aren't you? It's kind of, no, I'm sure she wasn't doing that. But here's the thing. This is our reality. We are troops here this morning. If you're a believer and you have enlisted to your captain and you are serving in a war, make no mistake about it, and it's tough. And maybe some of us are suffering from battle fatigue this morning. And you know you are. You are worn out. Maybe there is psychological, you know, anxiety setting or stress or whatever it is. And maybe you feel somewhat alone. It's interesting in this story that Moab throughout the Old Testament is a constant threat to Israel. Moses had to fight the Moabites. Uh, Two kings One, um, Jehoram's older brother, Ahaziah, when Ahab dies, Jehoram's older brother, who was king before him, he, it says the Moabites rebelled then. Then when Jehoram takes the throne, they they rebel again. And later in Israel's history, Jeremiah 48, I read it the other day, there's a whole chapter on God kind of coming against the Moabites. They're still a thorn in the flesh. So make no mistake about it, brother, sister, you will always be at war. There will always be thorns in the flesh for you. There will always be things you and I are battling. Now, we do have moments of R&I. You know, I love those moments in Israel's history where it says Israel enjoyed peace for 40 years. It's like a generation. Israel enjoyed peace for 40 years. So there are those moments. Thank God for them. Don't you love them? When the sun's out, you're in the garden. Life's good. The family's good. Work's good. There's no... Oh, I'm having peace for 40 years. But there's times then when we're called back into the battle. We'll always be at war. Certain threats remain constant to us, don't they? There are certain things that undermine your, con- your uh, confidence and peace. There are certain things that just keep coming against you. So firstly, they were at their extremity because there was plenty of war. But there was secondly, no water. Plenty of war, no water. You see, they took a route through the desert of Edom and they ended up that there was no water supply and therefore the army is obviously very vulnerable at that point. It's not quite clear from this story whether they went into the desert as a tactical thing. If you look at a map, it's kind of around the sea, uh, the Dead Sea. They, they, they go south of that through Edom and up into Moab. They'd have, they'd have been going. It's not quite clear whether that was a tactical thing or whether this rush into the desert and into war was a bit of a head rush, a bit impetuous on the part of these two kings, Jehoram and Jehoshaphat. But whatever they, the case, they end up in the desert, which isn't necessarily a bad place to be in itself. We see, don't we, throughout Israel's history, through the wanderings, the 40 years, Israel, it says in places, were trained for warfare. John the Baptist rooted himself in the desert and the word was formed in him in the desert. And of course, Christ was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit. But here's the point. If we find ourselves in a desert, it's really important to work out, should we be there or have we gone off wandering? And if at this moment you feel like life is a bit of a desert, 
It could be a good place for you to be. God's refining you. He's testing what's in your heart. But it could be you need to retrace your steps and work out why am I here? Was this me? Have I been foolish along the way? Have I made some wrong choices and perhaps head back the way you came? So firstly, they were at their extremity. But secondly then, there was an inquiry. There was an inquiry. There were different reactions here. And we've got verses 10 to 19. Thanks, James. It says this, continuing the story. The king of Israel said, bad news. God has gotten us three kings out here to dump us into the hand of Moab. We'll come back to that. But Jehoshaphat said, isn't there a prophet of God anywhere around through whom we can consult God? And one of the servants of the king of Israel said, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is around somewhere, the one who was Elijah's right-hand man. It's not known whether Elisha was kind of hanging out in that vicinity or whether he'd followed the troops out and the kings out. Jehoshaphat said, good, a man we can trust. So the three of them, the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom, went to meet him. And Elisha addressed the king of Israel, the king of Israel, Jehoram, who's come from Ahab and Jezebel, who basically just went completely off the rails. Elisha says to Jehoram, what do you and I have in common? Go consult the puppet prophets of your father and mother. Never, said the king of Israel. It's God who has gotten us into this fix, dumping the three of us kings into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, as God of the angel armies lives and before whom I stand ready to serve, if it weren't for the respect I have for Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I wouldn't give you the time of day. But considering, bring me a minstrel. And when a minstrel played, the power of God came on Elisha. He then said, God's word, this is God's word to you, dig ditches all over this valley. Here's what will happen. You won't hear the wind. You won't see the rain, but this valley is going to fill up with water and your army and your animals will drink their fill. This is easy for God to do. He will also hand over Moab to you. You will ravage the country, knock out its fortifications, level the key villages, clear cut the orchards, clog the springs and litter the cultivated fields with stones. Basically, you are going to bring your enemies low. So there's an inquiry here, but it's interesting, isn't it, that we have two different perspectives on this situation. Firstly, there's Jehoram, the king of Israel. And basically, his attitude is one of cynicism and unbelief. He's desperate, he's in a fix, and he blames God. He says, oh, oh, God's dumped us here, he's let me down again. Well, hang on a minute. You chose to go to war. You chose the route into the, into the desert and you're blaming God. But how often do we do that? We blame God. We get, we get a sulk on with God when it's our jolly fault. Is there anyone in that place here this morning? Raise your hand. Why don't you just raise Don't, don't. Okay. Someone did, but I won't say who. So he blames God for, for his mess, as it were. Just take responsibility, man. And it's interesting as well how many people blame God even when they don't believe in him. 
That's really interesting. That's really interesting, isn't it? And then we have Jehoshaphat's response. And his is one of faith. He understands that when you're desperate, you need to hear from God. You need to find out when you're desperate, when, when you're up against, you know, up against the wall and the enemy's coming at you, you need to know where is God in this situation? What's he saying to me right now in this situation? And so Jehoshaphat says, can't we inquire of the Lord? He understood it's no good just giving in. Anyone, I could, oh man, this, is, this sermon has really helped me this, this week, I'll tell you. How many times have I been in situations and I've just like, one of the ways the enemy gets me, I've said it before, is discouragement. And I'm like, I've had enough. It's just, I'm just, I've just had enough. I can't go, I can't go on. <laughs> oh, dear. I just can't do this anymore, God. Does that resonate with anyone? Lord, I just can't do this. And then what does God do? He sends something else that you've got to deal with. You've got to keep going. Well, that was tough enough. Or Jehoshaphat sees that you can't just take it into your own strength. Well, if God's not going to help me out, I'm going to sort it out. Right. We roll our sleeves up and we decide we're going to get stuck in. And God goes, okay, okay, have a go. Try and sort it out yourself. That's not the way through either, is it? So are you facing a situation and the way through is unknown? It's like a total, total maze. You've just got no idea which is the right path. I say to people, you know, in pastoral situations sometimes, listen, you must, in those situations, when you're desperate, you've got to bottom out on God. You've got to find him in the midst of it. In one sense, even our wisdom, even if it's good wisdom in one sense, no, what's the word of the Lord to you in that situation? In the words of the Ghostbusters, who are you going to call? Who are you going to call? And I think we're facing some situations as a church now. We said it at the members meeting, was it last Wednesday, a couple of Wednesdays back, where God's only shown us so far. Big, big decisions around our Sunday gatherings and venues and around leadership, some of these big decisions. And to be honest, we, we only know so far, we only know certain things to explore and ask questions of. Now, we could contrive answers to bring clarity. But I just don't think we want to do that. We want, must hear from God. It, it asks patience of us. It means for a time there may not be the clarity we'd like. Well, what about this and what are we doing about that? Well, we may not know at this moment in time. And finally, like I said at the members meeting, if you want to put your name to the solution and say, I know what we should do, and you want to put your name to the solution, absolutely fine. We'll put a plaque on the wall. You know, such and such came up with this bright idea. But you need to know you've heard from God because otherwise it may be our own choices. And here's the thing. If we do hear the word of the Lord, he may not reply like we want him to. But if we sense it's God, we've got to go with it. And it's so easy, isn't it, to listen elsewhere. It's this little interaction between Elisha and Jehoram. He says, why don't, why don't you, go and, you know, go, and ask, go and ask the prophets of Baal? You know, that your mum and dad follow. Go, go and ask them. How did, how's that working out for you, by the way? 
Have you listened elsewhere? Have you taken something, some decision, you know, and chosen your own path? How's it working out for you? How's that working out? I've done that. And the command that comes to us, the word that comes to us, may ask us to do something unusual. Says Elisha, okay, here's what you need to do. In the desert, dig ditches because they're going to fill with water. They weren't here digging for water. It was clear from Elisha's reply. That's not what they're doing. They're not digging for water. We have been encouraged, you know, to dig for water. But that's not what they were doing here. They'd have known to do that because Elisha says, you're not going to see the rain and you're not going to hear anything, but those ditches are going to fill with water. What you want me to get out there in that hot, sweaty desert and dig a ditch, that just sounds like really hard work and pointless. And I will just wear myself out. Yeah, go and dig the ditch. Here's the thing, though, isn't it? Don't you think the Bible is full of bizarre solutions to situations? Absolutely bizarre. Okay? You know, a, a word-speaking donkey. I mean, that would just always get... I mean, how can we... Don't, don't tell that to anyone who's not a Christian. I mean, my good, we've got to defend that. I mean, what do we make of that story? Like, I bet Ian's not going into schools preaching that one to the young people today. Maybe he is. I mean, that takes a lot of... That's a big faith preach. But just Noah, build an ark. Hang on, I live in rugby. Where's the, where's the rain coming? Where's the sea? It won't fit on the canals. What are you talking about? March around the city seven times. What about just storming them, you know? Yeah, freedom. No, march around the city seven times and then get the band to play. What? The Red Sea, just step into that. Water's going to... How about this one? A man dying on a cross to save us. That's it right there. <laughs> Look at Isaiah 55. This really is true. We, we read this and we kind of know it's true, but, but this is really true. It really, really is true. I'm not saying God always does it differently to how we would, but his ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are his ways, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts, parenthesis, bracket, therefore, you just won't get me sometimes. But you need to do it my way. You need to walk through this my way. I know the way out. I know the way to bring fruitfulness. I know the way to bring glory. I know the way for you to flourish. But it may not be your way. You just won't get it at times. Just as an aside, it's really interesting, I think, this is just a quick thing, that he calls for a harpist, i.e., in this place, meaning in the place of worship, sometimes we can get our best answers in the presence of God. It's why we need to seek him. So what is their response? Obedience. It's clear they dug the ditches. So friend, what does digging the ditch look like for you? What's your situation you're facing that, you know, you'd have done it one way perhaps, but God's saying to you, no, your ways are not my ways. My ways are higher. This is what I want you to do. Go and dig the ditch. Is it repentance? Do you need to realign with his thinking? It's not that you're in sin or anything like that. You just need, you just, your perspective needs altering. 
Is it to step out in faith? Is there something God's laying on your heart to do? You need to step out. You need to take an idea forward. Put, put, put your name to something. Have a go at something. Is it just to continue doing what you're doing? Just to keep persevering because the rain is coming. It does sound like hard work, whatever it is. It does sound like hard work and a bit of a risk. But as, as we've said in this series, we need to carry spades, not spoons. We are not consumers, brothers and sisters. We're not consumers in this for our sake, what we like, and I want this and I want that. We must discern the will of God for us individually and corporately. Otherwise, it's our work. So finally, there was an amazing eventuality. Essentially, the rains fell. We anticipate the rains fell elsewhere. And it says this, just to finish off the story. Thanks, James. In the morning, it was the, at the hour of morning sacrifice. I think that's interesting. There was a time for this. There was a time for the resolution. That may be a word to someone here this morning. You're hanging on to something. You want God to do something. Listen, God's got a time. There was the hour of the morning sacrifice. The water had arrived. Water pouring in from the west, from Edom. A flash flood. Now, the, the actual text doesn't tell us it's a flash flood. We don't know why these ditches filled. This is Eugene Peterson's summarization of the situation. Filling the valley with water. By this time, everyone in Moab had heard that the kings had come up to make war against them. Everyone who was able to handle a sword was called into service and took a stand at the border. They were up and ready early in the morning when the sun rose over the water. From where the Moabites stood... The water reflecting the sun looked red like blood. Blood. Look at the blood, they said. The kings must have fought each other. A bloody sacrifice. Go for the loot, Moab. And when Moab entered the camp of Israel, thinking that Israel had killed each other, the Israelites were up on their feet, killing Moabites right and left. The Moabites running for their lives. Israelites relentless in pursuit. A slaughter. So what was the eventuality here? water. The water came. But they hadn't seen the rain. There was no sign of it. They don't know why this water came, is the point here. But the rains came. The origins probably were somewhere else then. And maybe it was a flash flood. Jeff and I were talking before. I'd I'd love to, you know, I've felt, I've wanted permission to show this video again during this series. But Google it, I've said it before, the Okavango Delta, this story in Africa, the rains falling one part and then I think it's hundreds of kilometres away. As the rains fall, life comes to this area and there's, there's flash flooding and the, the desert just flourishes. Jeff was saying that the animals can smell the water from tens, possibly hundreds of miles away. They can smell the water. I think it will be like that with the Spirit. If the waters come, people will smell the water, will smell the rains, will smell the life and want to be there and want to come and drink and want to experience the life. We will want to come. We will want to come. It's like the suddenly of God. Somehow, this all came to life. So be encouraged. 
Is there something you have been praying about forever? You've just been praying for that situation to shift forever. You've been praying maybe to see God move forever. Well, maybe, maybe the rains have even started to fall. Maybe there's, you know, maybe you can sense something's happening. This situation, somehow it's changing. The rains are beginning to fall. And maybe before too long, the land is going to be flooded and there's going to be life. As a consequence of this water, firstly, they were filled. The animals and the troops got to drink. They got what they needed. And secondly, there was freedom. Really interesting that the water that they needed to go and fight Moab was actually the cause of Moabites, the Moabites' defeat. They saw it. The sun was shining. Maybe it was red sandstone, whatever. And it looked like blood. So they thought, they killed each other. Let's attack. And lo and behold, they hadn't killed each other at all. So God took care of something that wasn't even on their radar. They just wanted water for its own sake. But God somehow took care of other stuff. And how often have we seen God do that? That we're wanting something to happen. God takes care of that. But he doesn't only do that. He's taking care of stuff that's not on our radar if we've been obedient. If we've dug the ditch, if we've followed through, he sorted other stuff off. So if you've been on the front line, maybe it's relationships, it's circumstances. And maybe Galatians 6, 9 is true for you. It says this. Again, this is the message. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Came across this by Spurgeon, a Baptist preacher of the 1800s. He says, talking about this story, if we expect to obtain the Holy Spirit's blessing, we must prepare for his reception. Make the valley full of trenches is an order to make ready for the Holy Spirit's power. Be prepared to receive that which he is about to give. Make the whole of this church full of trenches for the reception of the divine water floods. That's good, isn't it? I think God, I think God may have been doing some of that. I think, he's, I think he's been refining us. Let's be honest, you know, probably our whole life, but, but certainly even in the last two or three years, you know, a lot of us have been refined, haven't we? We've had to, you know, we've had to ask questions of ourselves and where's our faith? And, you know, there are some people, we don't know where they are now. Where, where was their faith? At least we're here. At least we're connected. He's been refining us. But maybe you've been going through tough times now and God's been refining you I want to encourage you keep digging the ditch keep digging the ditch because the promise is that the water will come it will refresh you it will bring us life and I think the theme that's been running through this series is this we need to take responsibility for that. Where are you at with Jesus? What are you holding out on? 
Are we wholly, wholly submitted? Are we being obedient? Whatever it is he's telling us to do.